Grant, O merciful God, that your church, being gathered together in unity by your Holy Spirit, may show forth your power among all peoples, to the glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. That's the collect appointed for today, August the 21st, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, the Sunday edition. This is John Green. I'm happy to be here today. We had a, a good week this week, did a lot of hiking, went down to... Um, I'm not sure exactly where it is, but just sort of between Brevard and Hendersonville, North Carolina. It's about 45 minutes from here, and um, took a, a hike around Dupont State Forest. It's a it's a good place. I like it down there. Um, the, the, a lot of the, the quote trails are actually like forest service roads, and so they're multi-use trails with bikes and even equestrian use. Um, and, but we went down, saw some nice falls. It was it was a nice day, you know. Um, we're not to fall yet, but the highs are in the 70s here right now and going to stay there for about at least the next week or so. So that's fantastic. Um, anyway, we had a really good walk. I, I managed to get Suzanne walking around for about six miles, and which is more than she'd prefer to walk. But uh, anyway, we had a really good time. Really happy to be there and uh, take that trip. So it's been you know a good couple of weeks, and we're headed towards fall, which is a wonderful thing. We've got some plans for the fall to do a few things, and so I'm excited about that. We're going to go to Cincinnati in late September and see the baby hippo now. In a month, it might not be such a baby. Uh, it'll be a baby compared to the adults, but it's still going to be a whopper by the time we get there. So we're going to spend a couple of days up there just enjoying it, go to see the Ark experience for about Noah's Ark. Uh, heard really good things about that, so looking forward to that. We're going to do that over Will's birthday, actually, for a couple of days. See the Reds and Red Sox play while we're there, two of the oldest teams in the major leagues. Neither one of them are very good right now, um, but hey, it's baseball. Right. I mean, and we do that also in honor of Will because he played baseball for many, many years. There's no telling how many games we watched and enjoyed watching and all that kind of stuff. And so, hey, just to be out watching Major League Baseball in late September, uh, that's fantastic, especially when you don't care. (laughs) I don't care who who wins that game, largely because it's a meaningless game. But it, it ought to be fun. And because both teams are not very good, then the tickets ought to be pretty cheap, too. So it's good. Anyway, so we've got a lot going on. We're going to go spend some time with our um, oldest son in uh, around uh, Thanksgiving, the week of Thanksgiving, actually. Getting a lot of work done here at the house. They're painting, and uh, so things are, are progressing along. There's still quite a few things that, that I'd like to get done or like to see get done because I'm not doing any of it. Um, but anyway, so it's been um, a good week, a good week, and uh, looking forward to to moving forward with life and and seeing what God has in store. So today, I could basically boil this whole thing down, and and we could be done with it if you'd like me to. Uh, I could boil it down to uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And there you go. And then we're done. That could be the entire thing, because that's basically what we're going to say today. But it's it's not that easy. I mean, it is that easy. It's it's exactly that easy. In fact, it's no more difficult than that at all. Um, But doing that is not ever easy because, well, if you try and love me, I'm going to make it hard for you because, well, I just am. That's who I am. I'm not easy to love. I'm not... um, (laughs) I I, I can frustrate the life out of people. Just ask Suzanne. She'll be happy to tell you many of the ways that I can do that. So anyway, let's dive in. We're going to be today in Isaiah. We're going to be in the 58th chapter, verse 9b to 14. Um, then after that, we're going to be in the gospel according to Luke, chapter 13, verses 10 to 17, and then Hebrews, verses 12, or chapter 12, verses 18 to 29. 
So it, 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 what, what's going on in, in Isaiah 58 is God's telling them, look, you know, this is what I want. You're doing fasting and you're doing sacrifices. You're doing this, that, and the other thing. But the reality is you're not keeping the important things. You're not doing the important things. And so he's going to tell them what those important things are. And that's exactly where we pick up. If you take away the yoke from your midst, remember Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says to the uh, Pharisees, you tie up yokes on people that you're not willing to bear yourselves, nor are you willing to help them bear them. And so that's it, is what he's saying here, is if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness. So the pointing of the finger would kind of look like something like the the story that Jesus tells, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector praying in the temple, where the tax collector, or the the Pharisee says, hey, I'm glad I I do this, I fast twice a week, and I give tithes, and, and I'm not like you know, dirt bags like these people, including this tax collector over here. I'm, I'm not a bad guy like all those bad guys are. So, uh, yeah. So that's the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. How you live matters. That's what, what he's saying here is, is that, that if you care about the people around you, if you love the people around you, and you meet the needs of people that you have the capacity to meet the needs of, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will be as the noonday. So, you know, you're, you're keeping the letter of the law, but you're not paying any attention at all to the weightier matters of the law, which is consistently what the, the prophets speak against them. Micah speaks these things against them. Malachi speaks these things against them. Hosea speaks these things against them. You know, you're bringing all the right sacrifices and all that, but it's because you have to. You think that that gives you license to sin because you can afford to make the sacrifice for that sin. So that, that's, that's kind of what is being criticized here is, is that, that the main thing that I need you to do is to love your neighbor. And you're not doing that. These are the things that, that you seem to think are less important. And when you have theological debates, you know that these are the most important things. And we know that because the guy asks Jesus, what's the most important thing? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you keep those things, then you keep all the law and the prophets. Well, love is an active thing. And, and what they were trying to do was they were trying to major in things like tithing. I'm the best tither here. I tithe exactly the right amount. I do that. I fast twice a week because the law says that. I don't really care about these people because they're unlearned people and they're just rabble anyway. So whatever. And, and we're going to see that unconcern in the gospel lesson today. So God says through the prophet Isaiah, if you do these things, your light will rise in the darkness, your gloom will be as the noonday, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. If he's guiding me continually, why am I in a scorched place? I mean, and it's true. And this is when I was in Rwanda for three months way back in whatever year that was. Um, I was told that I was going to be preaching the next day in, in one of the cathedrals there. And, uh, and I was getting ready to get in a car and be gone literally the rest of the day. Wouldn't be back until dinner time that night. So I was like, all right, I don't know what to do. So I looked at the lessons that were prescribed for the next day, and it, and I focused on the on the um, psalm, which is something I very rarely do. But I, but that day I focused on the psalm because what it talked about was the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord makes the 
calves skip and all this other stuff. And, and it's this judgment and all this and, and the power of the voice of the Lord. And, and so I looked at it and said, okay, what are the, how do I know when it's the voice of the Lord? Well, the first thing that God always says is, is follow me. And then what he says to the follow me people after they do it is fear not. Wait a minute. If I'm following the God of the universe, then why do I have to fear? Well, he's going to take me in places I'd rather not go. That's the reason that the Lord's Prayer involves going through the valley of the shadow of death and having a banquet prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. Because God's got to get us into these places. We have to go to those places because nobody willingly goes there. So he takes us there. He takes us there in order to grow us up and to reach other people in the same way that he did with Philip when he took him down to meet the Ethiopian eunuch, when he translated him to that place. After he'd had success in Samaria, God says, come on. And he takes him down there, and he says, no, go talk to that one guy. Well, that one guy happened to be the treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia, and so he was able then to go back and share the gospel in a place where there were already a lot of Jews. So the way that God could reach the Jews that were in Ethiopia was to reach the treasurer, this eunuch, who's coming back from Jerusalem after the festival. And so he translates Philip there and then takes him where he wants him to be after that. But first, I got this little job that seems inconsequential. It's one guy, but and yet, no, it, it, he can influence so many. In the same way that Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and says, I must go to your house today. Well, he, he's in Jericho, and there's lots of people there. Wouldn't it be helpful if he hung out with them? Well, no, because when he goes to Zacchaeus's house, and Zacchaeus repents of being a wicked tax collector, everybody's life is now better. It, it's an amazing thing. But So we tend to think of dribs and drabs, but we have no idea what the effect is when we go speak to this one. Jesus went with one in Jericho, but that one changed life, then changed the lives of everybody around because they had an honest tax collector now who was no longer taking from them. The Ethiopian eunuch then goes back and shares the gospel with all the people that are there in Ethiopia. And so we tend to think of these things in in different ways. And so when, when God says, I'll satisfy you, I'll guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places, it's like, well, wait a minute, why would you guide me to a scorched place? Well, it's because there's something in the scorched place that you need, and that is to know that God will satisfy you in those scorched places and make your bones strong, and you'll be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters don't fail, and your ancient ruins in Jerusalem will be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Wait a minute, and all I've got to do is pour myself out for the hungry, satisfy the desire of the wicked, of the afflicted, and stop, well, take away the yoke from the midst, the pointing of the finger, and the speaking of wickedness. So if I do those things, then I'll be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Yeah, because that's what people are not doing. So if I get you to do it, then you'll be that important. Doing these things, God says, will be that important, and it will make you ultimately very important. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, so if you'll stop taking pleasure in other things and call my Sabbath a delight 
and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going on your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall delight in the Lord, in the Lord. And I'll make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's not difficult. That's what he's saying. This isn't difficult. This is not, this is not hard stuff that I'm telling you to do. But the thing is, it's easier for you to focus on this other stuff. It's easier for you to focus on and take pride in the things you can do. Because, well, I'll check that box. I kept those commandments really well this week. And God's question is always, did you love your neighbor as yourself? You're not hungry. Did you make sure the people around you aren't hungry? Did you see hungry people and fail to do anything to relieve that? Did you satisfy the desire of the afflicted? When somebody was hurting, did you take the time to go and be with them and to comfort them? Well, no, but I tithed and I fasted. Yeah, well, bully for you. I set you in the midst of people in order that you could love those people on my behalf. That's the point and purpose of life. It's not to do little tick boxes and say, I was really good at tithing. I was really good at fasting. Well, good. Did that affect anybody other than you? When you fasted, what did you do? Well, I let everybody know I was fasting. Okay. Well, in that time, did you seek after the Lord? Did you allow yourself to be needy and that need to be met by him? Or were you just really proud that you fasted? I mean, those are the kinds of issues that Jesus came to talk about. But what he said is the weighty matters are the matters of loving the neighbor and loving God. And we see that in the gospel today. Jesus is teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and, and, and Luke doesn't tell us where it is. So behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you're freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. She knew who healed her, right? Jesus was the vessel. God was the healer. Her creator was her healer. So she's been there 18 years. Jesus is teaching, sees this, feels compassion for her, calls her over, tells her, you're freed from the disability, and then heals her. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath. Jesus is much kinder in his reaction to them than I would have been. He says, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead, lead it to water it? Of course you do, is the, is the implication of that. Everybody would do the same thing. Everybody, every single one of them who had animals, made sure the animals were provided for on the Sabbath day, even though it was the Sabbath. And it was perfectly acceptable under the law. Nobody questioned that. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? So you loose your animal to provide for its needs on the Sabbath. But you're looking at this woman here who is a sister. She is a daughter of Abraham. And Satan has afflicted her and bound her, and you, won't, you think it's wrong for me to let her loose. I mean, 
I think I would have looked and said, oh, hey, did y'all just hear that? Apparently, they have overlooked her for the last 18 years. They would have healed her if they had only known that she needed to be healed. Because they said, six days work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. See, we can't work on the Sabbath. God, however, in, in Jewish law and teaching, worked on the Sabbath because he completed his work on the Sabbath day. And so for centuries, they argued over, well, he must have worked so little. So what would be a human analog to that? What, how, much, how much could I work and, and get away with it? And what they finally decided was, no, whatever it was in comparison to what God's able to do, there's no, nothing so small that, that there would be a human analog. If you've gotten a piece of furniture and, and you've all you've got to do is is hit the peg one more time to make that joint strong, you got to wait. You got to wait till after the Sabbath to do it. Nope, because God's infinity and infinitude says, nope, he could do all this. And so whatever he did that last day, because it doesn't say what he did, it tells us what he did on all the other days, but he completed his work that day. So they said, well, he worked some on that day, but it was such a small thing. And we don't know what it was. That, that there's no human analog to it, so there's no way that a human can work at all on the Sabbath, which is not bad, right? I mean, that's not bad theology. I don't have any problem with that. But the reality is, is what they said is, is that if you come on those other days, on those other six days, you can get healed, but not on the Sabbath day. Well, we have two problems there. Who is it that does the work of healing? Well, it ain't you, and it ain't me. It's God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So God's doing the work. Let's just be straight up about that. But the other side of it is, so Jesus would, would be able to say, so the implication is, anybody here who needs to be healed, come tomorrow, these guys will heal you, and I'm going to come watch, right? I mean, that, that's exactly what he could have said is exactly what John would have said, right? I mean, my sarcasm would have gone out the, you know, just off the charts for this. Oh, I see. So she's been handicapped, disabled for 18 years. Y'all just never saw it. Or she never expressed any interest in being healed. So I stepped out of line and healed her today. You would have, at some other point, if you had realized that she needed healing, you would have. But now you're upset because I did, because I, well, I happened to notice it. Is that what you're telling me? That you just failed to notice and she failed to ask? Otherwise, you would have taken care of it. So what they just said was, fellas, everybody here, anybody here who's got an affliction, they said come on those other days and they'll heal you. Well, let's watch. Let's see them do that. Let's do that tomorrow. How about that? How about we start bright and early, as soon as you can. As soon as it's daylight, y'all come, they'll heal you. But, but it all begins with the reality that it's God's work. It's God's work. It's not yours. It's not mine. Nobody has a healing ministry. There are people through whom God tends to work in certain ways, but nobody has a healing ministry because nobody can heal. That's God's work. And so Jesus, I don't know how he didn't do it, you know. I don't know how he didn't let that sarcasm fly. But, but instead what he did was he called him out on it and said, wait, so you're willing to take care of an animal's needs on, on a Sabbath? And nobody here is going to complain that you take care of an animal's needs on the Sabbath because that was decided long ago, that that's acceptable work to do on a Sabbath. But you're telling me that it's wrong to heal a, a woman not only created in the image of God, but who is a child of Abraham. She's a member of, of the clan and the tribe, and it's wrong to let her get free and meet her needs and make her whole on the Sabbath. 
Well, y'all just have misunderstood completely. And you don't care about her, is what it tells me. You don't care about the people who are around you. You care more about your animals than you do about the people. So loving your neighbor, you get an F based on what you just said about being healed on the Sabbath. You failed the course in loving your neighbor. You could say the same for the rich young ruler who comes and asks, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, you've got to sell everything you own, give it to the poor. Before that, he said, I kept all these other commandments until today. Well, so here's, here's the problem. He didn't keep either one of them. Not really. Because he loved his wealth more than he loved God, more than he loved the kingdom of God. And also, he, unlike Zacchaeus, wasn't willing to give to the poor. Zacchaeus did. He gave half his wealth to the poor and then offered to pay back fourfold anybody he had defrauded. That guy just walked away. So he proved he didn't love God, nor did he love his neighbor. He might have thought nice things about his neighbor, but did he love him? And, and that's what it, it is for us, is, is if we see a neighbor in need, if we see a friend in need, if we see a brother or sister in Christ in need, and, and we can meet it, even if it inconveniences us, the answer should be, okay, whatever you need, I'll give it to you. You can, whatever, right? If you have a brother or sister in need and you, you are able to meet that need in any way, then you're supposed to do it. So it's easier if you just don't know <laughs> what those people's needs are, right? And, and if you don't make a habit of it, then they'll, they won't ask you either. So it works out pretty well, except it doesn't. It doesn't at all because God knows, and ultimately so do you. So here, here we may not be able to heal anybody, but are we willing to set aside everything for others? Are we willing to do that? And, and as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. See, that, that's why sarcasm wouldn't have worked, because they wouldn't have been ashamed and the people wouldn't have rejoiced. They would have just heard the sarcasm. So Jesus' answer was far, far better than mine, because he just showed. He didn't just call them hypocrites. He showed them how they were hypocrites. But, but this all always comes down to, do you love God? Do you love your neighbor? You know, it, it comes down to those two things, and that's everything. Everything comes down to those two things. That's the reason Jesus says these are the, the two most important commandments. And, and what he's doing is he's summing up the commandments and saying this is what God intended by those commandments is to love him and, and love your neighbor. So you do everything for the glory of God, but everything typically means what do you do for your neighbors? How, how do you react when a neighbor has a need, when a neighbor has a problem, when a neighbor needs something? How do you react? And so, I mean, my response is, well, sometimes I'm okay at that. Other times, not so much. <clears throat> so in the Hebrews passage, he, he's going to pull us to a place of, of what does it mean to have a confrontation with God, to come into the presence of the living God? He says, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the heavens beg that no further messages be spoken to them. The hearers, sorry, beg that no further messages be spoken to them. What's he talking about there? He's talking about it, when they're at the mountain at Sinai 
all the imagery that he uses there, he's pointing to that moment. He says, for they couldn't endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it'll be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What, what did the blood of Abel cry out? It cried out for vengeance, for the sin that had been committed in putting him to death. So God had to come and, and confront Cain over that sin. So he says, look, you haven't come to the thing that can't be touched, you, the thing that you have to stay completely away from. No, you come to something different. You come to the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn or who enrolled in heaven. You've come to a worshiping community is what he's saying. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem because of Jesus, because of what he did for you, the sacrifice he made on the cross. You're able to come into the presence of the living God in a worship mode. And to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So that cloud of witnesses that has gone before us, and we have a couple thousand more years of those than, than the writer of Hebrews did. And to Jesus, he says, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled word that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Because the blood of Abel cried out for vengeance. The blood of Christ calls out for mercy. He loved his neighbor as he loved himself so much so that he laid down his life in order that we might receive life and receive his spirit. He says, see that you don't refuse him who is speaking. And he's not speaking about himself, he's speaking about God. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. And this time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken remain. So it's, it's another way of, of speaking the way Paul speaks to the Corinthians when he says, I built a foundation on, of Christ. My gospel is a foundation in your life, and that foundation is Jesus. Whatever you build on top of that, he says, better be able to withstand, withstand the fire of judgment ultimately, because it's all going to be judged in that way, and, and that fire of judgment will reveal your workmanship. If it's grass and straw and all that mess, then it's gone. Is it? What is it? What is the, what you build on the foundation? It better be equal to the material of the foundation itself. So you better keep building on Christ. Keep building on his teaching. Build on his cross. Build on what you know of him. Don't, don't build on the prosperity gospel, for instance. Don't build on this. Don't build on, on that kind of theology or this kind of theology. No, no, no. Build on the theology of Christ and continue to build that way. And so that's the same thing the writer of Hebrews is talking about here when he talks about things that are shaken. So the removal of those things that can be shaken, he says, will prove the things that cannot be shaken and they will remain. Sort of like an earthquake. 
right? So you have an earthquake in, in San Francisco, and then almost everything is destroyed except for those things that were built to withstand that kind of an earthquake. We, we saw the same thing when we lived at Pauley's Island. When we first moved there 25 years ago, we went out, and, and a friend of ours, who wasn't a friend at the time, he became a friend, took us out there, and he says, so look at these houses. Do you see some, this place? It, they used to be called Arrogantly Shabby was the motto for their – it had to change after 1989 because 1989, a hurricane, Hurricane Hugo, came through there, and it destroyed much of the, many of the houses that are out on Pauley's Island itself – and so when you went out there, you could see at that time a huge distinction between the houses that have been built since Hugo and the ones that have been built prior to Hugo, because those were still kind of shabby <coughs> in the right kind of way. <laughs> and, and the others were new, and you could see the difference. So you could see the houses that made it through Hugo, and then you could see the distinction between those that obviously had not and new ones had been built in that same place. So we've seen this very phenomenon. So the the writer of Hebrews is saying, be careful, be careful. So build on a good foundation, build things that can't be shaken. You know, just doing the tithe, doing these other things is is less important. We've always been clear. Jesus was clear. God was clear. The prophets were clear. What's the most important thing? John's clear in, in, in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Um, James is clear. What is the most important thing? It's loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. So do those things. Those are the things you're called to do. Those are the things that can't be shaken. He says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Because we know it's an eternal kingdom. And we know the heavenly Jerusalem will ultimately come down to earth. The new Jerusalem that will come down. That kingdom, he says, can't be shaken. All the stuff out there that the people, the angels even, the ones who rebelled, all of that, ultimately all of this will be shaken, he says, and then what remains will be God's kingdom and only God's kingdom and only those who are in God's kingdom. He says, so be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It can't be taken away from you. Everything else in life can be taken away from you. God's kingdom can't be taken away from you because it's an eternal kingdom. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So what are we called to? We're called to worship. And what does it mean to to worship God? Well, it means that we come in reverence and awe and fear. And it's a certain kind of fear. It's a fear that leads us to worship Him, but it's also a fear that leads us to, to revere Him, to love Him because of what he has done for us in his son, Jesus Christ, and then to live a life of love for others in the same way that Jesus did. For God is a consuming fire. He is a consuming fire, and so let us not, let us not hold on to those things that are not eternal. Let's lay aside those things, be generous with all the things that God gives us in this life, and lay hold of the treasures that are in heaven.